lots of information. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to your pastor and his wife for inviting me and allowing someone that they don't really know to come and talk to people that they care about very deeply. And so the fact that they have allowed me this opportunity and privilege really, it really resonates in my heart. It really speaks to me. I also want to, um, if we could put the PowerPoint up, please. Um, I also want to just talk to you about what is happening in my region, but I also have something I want to share with you from the Word of God. So I have, I think, like 38 slides. Now, for those of you that, that you think, ah, you should be thinking, ah, that, that's a good thought to have. Um, <laughs> but I'm also originally from New York, and so I can talk really, really fast. And so if we talk fast enough and you listen quickly enough, I can get through it all, and hopefully in the time that I've been allotted. Now, I have to also confess that I have been a school teacher. I was a school teacher for 29 years. So just, just a few days of my life was spent in a classroom. And I really enjoyed those times when I was on a block schedule and I got to have you for 90 marvelous minutes. You guys aren't thrilled. Okay, well, <laughs> the 90 marvelous minutes doesn't do it for you. Okay, but you know. So uh, some of you have this question, where in the world? Where in the world is Southeast Asia? And in a few minutes, I'm actually going to show you a slide of a map. But before I get there, I want to tell you a little bit about me. So if we could, I, I don't have a signal, so like, like this, and that would be change the slide. I want to talk to you about the Butron. So I'm a Butron. It is not Butron, okay? I don't care what it looks like, it is not Butron. It's a Butron. Um, first of all, we are strange. I, I'd like to say that we're not, but that would be a lie. And, and I try really hard not to lie. So we are strange. Um, I'd like to blame it on my husband, but that would also be a lie. So... <laughs> Anyway, so we're, we're a little strange. Some people say we're a lot strange. We really like to be together, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. Um, my sons are all grown now. They have been deployed in different parts of the world at different times, and so we really treasure the times that we get to be together because we do, we actually like each other. I know it's kind of strange, but we do. Uh, that's, yeah, I told you we were strange. Uh, we are continuing to learn how to function as disciples. And, and as our sons have gotten older, as they've moved into that that they're not my child anymore. I'm not giving them directions as much as I'd love to. But as we've learned, it moved into that more, you know, advice stage instead of directive stage. We have, we've really worked on what does it mean to be a disciple now that you're an adult? How does that change? What does that look like? Especially when you don't have mom and dad looking over your shoulder saying, what are you doing? So we're, we're learning how to do that and how to function as disciples that in our family, we sharpen each other. Uh, we laugh often. Sometimes it's because something really sad has happened, and it's like, how in the world did she manage to do that? Um, I, I can tell you about one of those. Uh, we play hard, and we pray harder, because we figured out that the, that the only way to survive, the only way to really be who God has called us to be is to, to pray. Can we go to the next slide, please? This is my husband, and he asked me to tell you hello. <laughs> I think he's pretty magnificent, and I might be a little biased now. I might be, but I'm not. Uh, he is a magnificent man. He is uh, currently pastoring a church in Singapore. It's um, an unusual situation. We are Foursquare missionaries. My husband is a Foursquare ordained pastor, leader. Uh, we have been on the mission field since 1988. We have served in a variety of roles. About eight years ago, a church approached my husband and said, would you consider becoming our pastor? It was a two-year process with lots and lots of interesting things that happened in there, and if you want to know all the strange things that happened, you can talk to me afterwards. And uh, six, a little over six years ago, a Methodist bishop installed a four-square pastor into a, bishop, into a Baptist church in Singapore. And if you can explain that one, you, have, you understand my world. Um, it is a spirit-filled Baptist church. They were desperate for a pastor. 
Jack Hayford at the time was our president of Foursquare, and he, he, when it was presented to him, he just said, this is God. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And so that happened. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still catching up with it. It's only been six years. I'll get there. Uh, can we have the next slide? This is our gang, the before gang. And so uh, we, we have four sons. We finally got a daughter-in-law. It was a wonderful answer to prayer. We got another girl in the family. Next slide. And then we got two grandchildren. Aren't they beautiful? I really am biased. This, this picture's a little bit old, but, um, but I have other pictures because I'm a grandma. Okay, next picture. There they are. Uh, Lily is six months old, and Liam is 20 months old. My daughter-in-law is very busy. And, um, and I remember when Lily was born, I was there taking care of Liam while his mom was in the hospital. And he was sitting at the table, and he was eating grilled cheese sandwich and banana. And he held up a piece of the sandwich, and he goes, delicious. He was only 14 months old. And I looked at him and said, delicious? Where did he learn that word? But it, it, so, yeah. So, see, he's, he's got a great vocabulary. Uh, and my youngest son, Gregory, has been trying to teach him to say parental unit so that he can call us. And he will now say parental unit. He just hasn't figured out that means his dad or his mom. So, you know, we got a ways to go. But he's only 20 months old. There's hope. Next one. <laughs> And this is our gang today, most of us. My husband was not able to be with us, but last week I had the opportunity to actually be with my family. My son on the far left is Garrett. He is our third born. He is currently in the Air Force. He's based here in California in the northern part. He just returned from an assignment over in the United Arab Emirates uh, where we prayed that he wouldn't get dead. And then on the opposite side is my youngest son. His name is Gregory. He has just started his PhD program in biomedical engineering at the, Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma. And, uh, and he's going to be 23 years old. Uh, the one holding my grandson, Liam, that's my oldest son. His name is Evan. He is going to be 32 years old. He is a respiratory therapist. He is in the Army. He has been deployed overseas and is looking at another deployment coming up probably in February or April. No definite. And then the one holding my beautiful little granddaughter. We're getting girls. It's so nice. Anyway, <laughs> she, you have to understand, on my husband's side of the family, she is the only great-granddaughter with nine great-grandsons. Okay, so she's... You know, she's important. We, have, we got a girl. Uh, that is my son, William. He is going to be 30 years old. He is a doctor with a specialization in pediatrics and internal medicine. And uh, so, yeah, and then next to him is my beautiful daughter-in-law, Angela. And Angela is also 30 years old. And she is a CPA accountant and mother of two and is currently staying home taking care of her children. Can we have the next slide, please? That's my family. Missions. Missions. Yes, I, I have a missions call. Um, I did, really, I promise. It all started with the spider. How many of you like spiders? <laughs> Only a handful. So, okay, for the rest of you, um, maybe it'll be a snake. You know, I, I don't know, but for me, it was a spider. Uh, I, I, I personally am not real fond of snakes, but, you know, maybe you'll have a snake call. I was seven years old. I was in my parents' living room. They were hosting a missionary who was busily itinerizing, trying to raise support so he could go back on the field with his family. He had brought artifacts from South America. They'd set them on the piano bench in our, in our living room. I stood there. I picked up this beautiful glass paperweight, and inside of it was this marvelously huge, hairy tarantula. And you could see all the little hairs on it. It's like, oh, it's fabulous. And as I was holding this wonderful paperweight, I heard, I heard God speak. I was only seven, and I heard him say, someday you will be a missionary for me also. And that was it. 
And so, you know, I, that night when I went to bed, I told my parents, I heard God speak today. He told me I'm going to be a missionary, and it all has to do with spiders. Uh, you know, I was seven. Okay, let's, let's get this. Um, so, you know, time went on. I still had this call. It stayed in my mind. When I was 13, I decided I had a wonderful plan for God, and that that plan would be... Come on, you guys do the same thing, so don't go, you know, don't judge me. You go there, too. I had a wonderful plan for God, and my plan was that I was going to become a lawyer. And there was two reasons for that. One, I loved to talk, and two, I loved to argue. So it made perfect sense to me. And that I would then become an international corporate lawyer, so some big company would pay to send me someplace in the globe where I could go and be a missionary on their dollars. That also made great sense to me. Okay? So, so I had my plan. So I explained my plan to my parents. My father smirked. And he said, okay, well, why don't you pray about that? And that was where it went. Comes time to apply for college, okay? And so I, remember, I have a plan. So I decide, okay, I should go to a, to a university that has a law school, or at least has a pre-law program. It would be nice if I could go to a Christian school, but that's not essential, but I'll go and I'll look these out, but it would be really nice to have a Christian school. So I went and searched, and of course, remember, I had a plan, so I picked three schools. And I applied to all three, and then explained to my father that I had prayed, and only the school I was supposed to go to would accept me. And he smirked. So when the acceptance letters came for all three universities, like, oh, that was a great plan. Not so much. It didn't work. So, um, I, so I made the decision to go to Oral Roberts University. So I went there, and, and again, I had a plan. So I went, I was going to go do this. I was focused on where I was going. And, uh, and while I was at Oral Roberts University, I met my husband. And that, that was a wonderful thing. That was a horrible thing. Because I met the... I, <laughs> I'm just being honest here. It was wonderful because, you know, I, I... Okay, when I first met him, I have to confess. I have to confess. When I first met him, I was with a group of girls. We met this group of guys. There's all these girls. There's 36 girls. There's 36 guys. We all met each other. We had devotions together, blah, blah, blah. Everybody met, you know. And, and we went back to our dorm. Okay, okay, college people remember this. <clears throat> Go back to the dorm. Oh, wasn't he so cute? Wasn't this one so nice? Blah, blah, blah. And they were all like, oh, George. And they said, looked at me and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, personally, I could take him or leave him, and I'd rather leave him. <laughs> Four years later, that came back to bite me. But, hey, you know, anyway, so. Um, but, but that was, you know, I mean, he was a nice guy, but, you know. So, so I got to know George over the course of time. Uh, we began to see each other. We had been dating. And, you know, in a dating relationship, two things happen, right? Either you're headed towards marriage or you're not, right? It's, and if you're not, it's time to, you know, cut your losses and go, right? So I one day was talking to George, and we'd been sharing you know, where our life vision was, our goals, what we thought God had called us to, and, you know, all this was going on. And I explained to him that I didn't see any future in our relationship, that we might as well stop seeing each other because I was going to be a missionary, and he wanted to be a pastor in a farm community. And this because he really wanted to be a farmer, but God called him into the ministry, so that was his compromise. And it was like, okay, but, you know, that's not where I'm going, so, yeah, why? You know, let's not, let's not make this any worse than it is. Uh, so we broke up, and that was painful. It was, yeah, it was what it was, and God was good. And in the midst of all that, God spoke to him and called him to missions. And we were in a church service on a Sunday night, and, you know, we were, there's 2,000 of us, so he was on one side, I was on the other side, and, and God really spoke to his heart, and he prayed, and then he, he happened to look up and see me across the room, and he said, God, I, I will go be a missionary, but it would be really nice if I could go with her. And a few months later, we got back together, and the rest is history. We've been married for 34 years, and, um, and, and we're going together. We've done missions together. It took a little while to get there. Uh, the calling was affirmed when we began to do the missionary process with Foursquare. 
They were even willing to bend some rules to get us on the field faster. Uh, but it was really good they didn't bend the rules all the way because we really needed the training they would got, that we got as being senior pastors. So Then we got, we, we were in Singapore. This was 1988 was when we were first deployed. We were in Singapore. We were there for six, a little over six years. I had two children while we were there. They can never be president of the United States, much to, to their dismay. But, um, you know, so we had these two kids over there, and, and then we were asked to come back to the States to work in the office. And my heart broke. It was like, what did they do wrong? This is horrible. You're sending me back to America. Uh, and, and literally, the first year I was back in the States, I, I cried every day. And, and I argued with God the entire time and explained to him how when he finally got it right, I love God, and he loves me, and he's willing to listen to me uh, rant, and then says, smiles and says, yes, but I have a better plan. Uh, but, you know, that, that first year was horrible. I mean, I did all the stuff I needed to do. I made friends, I, you know, but, but my heart still was like, God, this is not where I want to be. So I finally got to that place of surrender, and I said, God, if I never, ever go on the mission field again, it doesn't matter. I will love you. I will serve you. I will walk in relationship with you, and I will do it with great joy. And two weeks later, <laughs> we got a call. Would you consider going to Papua New Guinea? So, yeah, so then it was restored. Following that, in 2003, my husband was asked to do the job I'm currently doing. He did that for six years and, uh, and then moved into the position in the church. We wound up going back to Singapore, and we have been based there for the last 13 years. So I've spent 19, almost 19 years in Singapore. So it's been, it's been good. And it's been, could we have the next slide? Am I talking fast enough? And I realized I forgot to set my timer. I hope somebody tells me when I'm supposed to be done. Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had it here and I forgot. Anyway, four square Southeast Asia. This is my part of the world. So I'm going to come over here and just show you part of my world. So the nations that I work most closely with are Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam and Myanmar up there. You see that? And then Malaysia. And hiding down here, you see? Right here, we've got Malaysia. And right here, this is Singapore, this little tiny dot. That's where I live. Singapore, the size of Lake Tahoe. A little over 5 million people live on the size of Lake Tahoe. Um, so, and we have green space. You still have a green space? It's a beautiful country. If you ever have a chance to come, please come. We'll let you stay. We, we have a beautiful view from our 19th story apartment. And, and we see the ocean, so it's gorgeous. We also work with East Malaysia. We work with all the Philippine islands. And then way over here, where you can't see it anymore, but right up here is Guam. <laughs> you see Guam there? And that's, that's the other part that we work with. So we have established works in all of those nations, but we're also working into and looking at other nations as well. So um, in Myanmar, in Vietnam, and in Thailand, I'm sorry, not Thailand, Cambodia, all of those nations are reaching into another closed nation to their north, their neighbor. And, and they, they send me emails, we're going to visit our neighbor. And then I begin to pray, please God, please God, please God, protect them, don't let them be dead, don't let them be dead, because, if, because they, don't, <coughs> they don't always go in legally. <laughs> Sometimes they swim across the river and show up to do training and discipleship and preach, and, yeah, and, and God is doing amazing things. And then they'll tell me, oh, we're having a baptism service. And it's like, which country are you going to hold it? Oh, we're holding it in our country. And then again, I have to pray, please, God, don't let anybody get dead. Because I know the people from that country are swimming across the river illegally. And, um, and, and if, if they find out, it's swimming across the river, that's the minor part. But if they find out, oh, yeah, they went over there to get baptized and they're getting trained as past, then they're really going to get dead. And so we keep praying. It, it's, it's this great tension you live in as you pray and as you work through 
what God is doing. So I, I just want to give you a little bit more of, a, of an idea. So if we could go to the next slide. I want to talk to you really quickly about each of these nations. This is our 2014 statistics, okay? So we don't have 2015 yet, but 2014, the nation of Cambodia, 210 decisions for Christ. That's almost a quarter of a million people. And God is continuing to expand the harvest there. Uh, the young lions and the young tigers are two groups of young men and women that are on fire and they are busily doing evangelism. Uh, when that group started, one of the young men, his name is Tani, Tani went to Ted Olbrook and he said, Pa, he was, he's a half orphan, he was raised in the orphan homes, Pa, we need a group. And he looks at him and says, you need a group? Yeah, Pa, we need a group. For what? Well, we need a group to go out and do evangelism. And he said, okay, you can have a group. He goes, no, no, Pa, you got to name us. We have to have a name. Okay, well, be the young lions. Okay, Pa, we'll be the young lions. Pa, you know that old ambulance that, that like, we can't use as an ambulance anymore? Can we have that for the young lions? He's like, sure, yeah, you can have it. So that night, now, mind you, he's gotten the yes. Tani got together 23 other people. They went, they stripped all the medical stuff out of the van. Out of the ambulance. I mean, obviously, you can't. Plus, we use that. They painted the outside of it, put their lion symbol on the side, young lions in Cambodian. Then, then they proceeded to go to every other vehicle in the compound, siphon all the petrol out of it, and fill up the ambulance. <laughs> because they needed petrol to get to where they were going. They had been praying for this one village for about four and a half, five months. So they loaded 23 people into this no longer ambulance, drove four and a half hours to get to this village, held a service the next morning and had 200 people come to Christ. So that's, and that's the kind of thing that we see happening on a regular basis. So this just, you know, praying for the sick, seeing people healed, seeing people raised from the dead. In, in Cambodia right now, we are still caring for 3,000 orphans. Over the last 12 to 14 years, we've had over 15,000 orphans go through our Foursquare Children of Promise homes. And many of them are now married. They're serving in the ministry. They're marrying each other. They're getting... You know, God has really prospered and blessed them. Some of them are going to university. They're getting trained in skills. And, and they go back to their orphan homes, and that is their family. So Tani got married uh, six months ago, almost six months ago. And he went home to his orphan home to bring his bride to show his brothers and sisters who he was marrying because that's his family. That's where he belongs. That's where he's connected. And so that is a, a significant thing that's happened in the nation of Cambodia. There's so much more we could tell you. Okay, let's go to the next slide. And here are just some pictures of wonderful... And down there in the graduation room, that is Tani, the one that started the Young Lions. Uh, he recently graduated from university with a degree in business administration. Go to the next slide, please. Guam. Guam, we have... Guam is a, is a really tiny island. There's um, 150,000 people. It's about the same size as Singapore has a whole lot less population. Uh, we have one four-square church there, but that four-square church now has works in three other islands. So even though we don't see the, the church multiplying as rapidly as they would like, uh, we do see them expanding. So they've had 75 decisions for Christ in this last year. Next slide, please. And here's some pictures of them and this beautiful, beautiful island paradise. is great. Okay, next slide. Malaysia. Malaysia is... How do we describe Malaysia? Malaysia is a beautiful nation. It has wonderful people. They have great food. <laughs> just, just telling you. They also have some really strange food too, but they have really good food. Malaysia is a really hard place to, to serve and to minister right now. Um, if you've watched the news a little over a year ago, 
the government declared it illegal for any Bible or, or Christian materials to use the word Allah for God. But Allah is the only word for God in the Malaysian language. Creates some challenges. So there, so, and, and the government has been, has been systematically confiscating all materials that they find and burning them. So people are losing their Bibles, they're losing all of their training materials, they're losing Bible school materials, I mean, anything, so they're, they're having to work through all this. So that's part of it. So it's a predominantly Muslim nation. It has a Chinese minority, and it has an Indian minority. Uh, and the, those are the two people groups that have been the most responsive to the gospel, but God is beginning to work among the Malay. And the Malay are traditionally Muslim. And God is moving in that people group, and they're beginning to come to Christ. But they're having to be very, very careful about it because it's, it's not just that I've come to Christ, but depending on the reaction of the people around you, you are, you are eliminated from your family. And sometimes that elimination doesn't mean just you have to go find a different place to live. Sometimes that elimination means when you least expect it, someone will come up and you will be dead because you have violated everything we believe. You have turned your back on us. You're a traitor. And so that is one of the challenges. East Malaysia, East Malaysia, it used to be in Sabah that over 50% of that particular province was Christian. The government didn't like that, and they began a repatriation program where they started moving people from parts of the main peninsula nation, and they would pay them to go and live in East Malaysia so that they could increase the Malay population so that they could change the laws and, and make it harder for Christians to serve there. So those are some of the challenges that they are facing, but they did have 122 people come to Christ. And it, it's, it's, a whole different, it's a whole different atmosphere. Next slide, please. Okay, no more slides. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, but the nation is, is slowly being transformed. And, and God is continuing to work. So we, this was, um, we were working together. This is a, a pastor's camp. And uh, during this camp, we prayed for and ordained several of the leaders. We did group activities. And uh, our theme was enlarging your tent. So we gave them a bunch of straws. And they had to make the largest freestanding movable tent they could make. <laughs> and it was amazing, some of the stuff that was created. Okay, next, next picture. Myanmar. Some of you know that nation as Burma. Um, the Burmese are one people group within the nation, okay? There are about 53 different people groups, and then you multiply that, and they have multiple languages, and you have multiple challenges. Decisions for Christ this year were 1,230. Um, meeting places are at 74. Our, our leader, his, his real name is Zakim, but he goes by Pakim. Pakim... Um, He's been in jail four times. One of the last times that he was in jail, they beat him with a metal pipe so severely that they ruptured his scrotum. And he didn't tell anybody. And the only way to get around the country to do most of the ministry he was doing, he rides a motorbike. But the roads are really, 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 really bad. Like, if you could take your, your, your best, worst dirt bike trail, those are the good roads. And finally, he reached a point where he was in great, great distress. And he finally went and saw a doctor and had to have surgery to repair all of the damage that had been done. But in spite of that, he said, I have to serve Jesus. People have to know. 
Whether I live or die doesn't matter. I have to, I have to serve Jesus. I have to walk in relationship. And so we now have Bible school. We've got three Bible schools. Uh, we're having people trained. I mean, it's an amazing thing. In the Chin State, uh, just over six weeks ago, there was horrendous torrential rains. They had been having a drought. They had these rains. With the rains came huge mudslides, something you guys understand in California as well. And they, they literally had churches that the floor split open in the middle. And it's like, you have two halves of the church, and you could just build a little bridge to get across the divide. But, but you're just... just the things that they have been experiencing, both on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. And, and just the, the challenge that has come across the Chin State, uh, that has been one of the harder places to reach, but the Chin are beginning to come to Christ as a people group. Next slide. Here's some wonderful pictures of some baptisms. Uh, up in the upper right-hand corner is the traditional, typical-looking church, because they build it out of bush materials, because that's what they have. Okay, next slide, please. The Philippines. Uh, the Philippines decisions, 8,732 this last year, 2014. The Philippines is a huge, huge conglomerate of different islands. And all of these islands have their own languages and they have their own tribal people groups. And so you face all kinds of challenges. And in that, we now have a rising Muslim insurgency that is very, very violent. And so you're, you're having a lot of opposition from that. One of the things that the Philippine Foursquare Church said is they said on every island... We want to go on every major highway, and every five miles we want a four-square church so that all of the roads going off of that main highway, we have access to every village that they're there so that we can touch them. So in this last year, they were able to, um, I believe it was they planted 65 churches, but since this report was done, they've got another 100 churches. And they're just slowly, and it's, that is the heart that God has given them. That is the place that they're, that they're moving. And so we're seeing God do some amazing things, even in the midst of great challenges so okay next slide I, I really am trying to go fast I promise here's some pictures of the over here on the right this was just the pastors <laughs> pastors got together to have a conference and it, you know kind of like our convention uh, and then in the center you see pastor Val Chavez and his wife Sally who are our national leaders okay next one please Singapore you guys really need to pray for my country <laughs> pray for my nation Singapore, we had 25 people come to Christ. We had three water baptisms. We now only have, okay, we have two churches. One is Indonesian and one is Filipino. We have no local Singaporean church right now in the Foursquare work in Singapore. And, and there's lots, I mean, there's lots of reasons. If you want to know why, you can talk to me later. Um, but but we, we are really facing a, a challenge. And we are facing that challenge in the face of having one of the largest, fastest growing churches on the planet in our country and so it's it's created some some angst to say the least so we're really looking at the fact that god god needs to do something there's five million people there yes there is definitely a witness for god this year is our 50th jubilee the nation is 50 years old singapore is younger than me <laughs> yes it's true it's true uh, singapore is the only nation on planet earth that was forced to become independent they were rejected and forced to become their own nation. And when they did that in 1965, there was all this other stuff. And people were looking at them saying, will they make it? Will they survive? And here we are 50 years later. And Singapore is a thriving nation when you look at economics, when you look at infrastructure, if you look at academics, if you look at just the prosperity of people as a whole. It is, a, it is an amazing nation. 
and it's beautiful and I love the people there and they're magnificent but there's there's just still this underlying root of rejection that people still struggle with because of the way their nation was founded so Singapore needs lots of prayer and, and at this point you notice that there's no picture of a national leader up there <clears throat> yeah well she's here okay <laughs> By default, it became me. Okay, next slide. Uh, here we are with some, some of the pictures of uh, our Indonesian and Filipino congregations. And that's my husband up there preaching. Okay, next slide. Thailand. Oh, Thailand. Thailand is probably one of the hardest places in my region to reach the gospel. Not only do you have multiple language groups, not only do you have multiple tribal peoples, but you also have a nation that has a great pride. They were never colonized. Every other nation in that region was. They were never colonized. They were independent. And they, and they look at that and they say, look what, we did fine. They look at their Buddhist religion and they say, we did fine. You look at Cambodia, Cambodia was Buddhist and they said, if this is karma, who wants this? And, and really, seriously, that, that was one of the things that brought them to Christ, because it was like, nobody deserves the treatment our nation has gotten, okay? Thailand, they have had a level of prosperity, they have had a level of success, and they, they have more tourists go and visit Thailand than you can shake a stick at. And, and yet, because of that prosperity, that's created this sense of pride, which has made the, the hearts of people very, very hard. Also, because of the culture. Someone has to know you oftentimes for years, literally five, six, seven, eight years before they will trust you enough to tell you what's really going on on the inside. Because if you tell someone and you can't trust them and the word gets out that you're maybe not perfect or you're not whatever, there's other challenges that you face. And so, so this, this one, but at the same time, in the middle of all that, we are having some wonderful successes in Thailand. We, we have a safe house. We have where women that have been rescued out of the sex trafficking trade, they have a, a pl safe place to go and be. We have Bible schools. We have orphanages where we're caring for kids. Uh, you know, and we're doing training with, with others. And, and our greatest influence has been among the tribal people. But Thailand also faces another problem because you notice the border here. You see this border with Myanmar? Yeah. This whole section, especially up there in, where it says Chiang Rai. You see Chiang Rai and Mesot going towards Laos? Those... There are refugees now living in camps on the border there. They were refugees. They left Myanmar because they were being threatened, the majority of them originally. They left because they were from the Korean people. The Korean people traditionally are a majority Christians, but not only that, they're, they're known to be rebellious against the standing government, which is a military dictatorship. And so the government was like, we're going to just get rid of them. And so they were going into villages and, and literally killing the entire village. And so people were escaping and they were going across the border. Well, here we are 23 years later, and you still have these people living in these refugee camps. Camps are generally about three quarters of a mile wide, and they stretch for 20 to 25 miles, and there's five of them along the border. And you now have two generations of people that have been born in these camps, and they are declared non-citizens. They don't belong to Thailand, and they don't belong to Myanmar. They have no passports. They have no education. They have no opportunity for anything. And these camps are very closed. We finally, after trying for seven years, we have one pastor who's been given permission to actually go into the camps on a regular basis and talk with people, meet with them, and begin to share the gospel. 
And so it's, it's and, and you look at this and, you, and you've got hundreds of thousands of people living in these camps, displaced peoples that need Jesus and, and face, and then they create this social challenge. What do you do with them? So, so those are some of the challenges that Thailand faces. Can we go ahead and go to the next slide? And here are just some faces of the people from Thailand. Next slide, please. Vietnam. Vietnam is a, it's an anomaly. <laughs> if you like motorcycles, go to Vietnam. They, they have their own special lanes. Of course, when you ride on your motorcycle, you are foot peg to foot peg with the people next to you, shoulder to shoulder. It's not uncommon to get bumped. Um, when you're crossing the street in Vietnam, the rule is walk forward, you may stop, do not step backwards. You step backwards, you're going to get hit. They have these great intersections. They're X-shaped instead of being square, they're like this. And so you have, and, and no traffic signals, no traffic signals. And you have seven lanes of traffic from each direction, and there's a little circle in the middle sometimes. And everybody is going like this to cross the road to make their left and right hand turns to go straight. Pedestrians walking in the middle of it, cars and motorcycles. And it's like, okay, and, and you just keep going. And it's, somehow it works with very few ideas. I've ridden on the back of motorcycles and that. And it's like, okay, God, that's all good. We'll get there. We'll teach. It'll all be good. So that's, and so Vietnam. Vietnam, we have 40 churches, 46 churches right now. Uh, and it is, it is a, a nation that the government finally got smart, okay? They had been throwing all the leaders. So, for example, Pastor Peter. Pastor Peter, I think, has been in jail seven times. The, the longest period of time was two years, okay? But they don't, they don't go after Pastor Peter anymore. They don't go after the pastors that are ordained and licensed and been serving. It's like, no, no, these guys are not going to They finally figured out they're not going to change their mind. It doesn't matter how much we torture them. It doesn't matter how much we incarcerate them. They will not change their minds. So now what they do is they, they send people to the churches as spies, and they watch who gets saved. And then they go target that new believer. Because if they can go and intimidate the new believer, then they can, they can usually influence them to change. So what the, the Vietnamese church has done is when someone accepts Christ, before they leave church, they are assigned a mentor. Someone that will walk alongside them so that, and, and we'll explain to them, now this is what the government's going to do, and this is what they're going to say, and this, is, and this is how you should answer. And then they walk them through the discipleship process, because there are, it's, it's really bad intimidation. So in some of the bigger cities, there's more freedom for churches to meet and for believers to gather together. But as soon as you get out of the big cities and you're out in the countryside, the level of persecution increases a hundredfold, and it's, it's just a challenging place to, to serve. But God is still doing stuff, and we're seeing people come to Christ. So, you know, I can't explain. Next picture, please. And here we have, um, we were playing, praying for the new board members, and these are the pastors gathered together. We had a training session. Um, it, it was really funny. We, things that I thought would be really easy to teach, I discovered teaching them in three languages is not quite so easy. <laughs> so, okay, let's go to our next slide, please. Okay, so here are the statistics, 2014 statistics overall. We had 221,894 people come to Christ, 41,000 people baptized in water, 54,000 people baptized with the Holy Spirit, 331. And, and my, these are rough numbers because I have to say some of the villages, they never count who they pray for. It's like, and I say, well, yeah, we pray for somebody. And so then they say, well, more than one, more than 10. So, so these are, you know, guesstimates at best. New, new churches in our region were 482 for a total of 7,166 churches, four churches in Southeast Asia at this point in time. 
So God is really faithful. And I just want you to see that picture of faithfulness. In the middle of everything else that's going on, you need to understand God is faithful. He is bringing the nations to him. None are abandoned by God. Okay, next slide, please. So let me talk to you. This. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm out of time, so I'm going to give you the passage of Scripture. I'm going to talk really briefly. And, then you guys, and, and how much overtime am I so far? Am I, oh, I have 12 minutes old plus God. Okay, I, I can talk fast stuff. Okay, John chapter... <laughs> See, I told you I could. John chapter 15. Um, See, and, and, and I think I've only got like four slides left to go. Um, <laughs> John chapter 15, if you, if you look at that passage of scripture, I, I'm, I'm going to, um, as, okay, there was a period of time where, where our family, we had the princess bride memorized. And, and whenever it was an appropriate moment to, to interject a comment into life's conversations. So, so let me explain, no, let me sum up. Okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> don't have enough time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I told you we were a little strange. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay, so never. I, I, really, I'm trying to be normal. And when someone explains to me what normal is, I will attempt to be it. So if you have a definition, I'm willing to try it. All right, so um, John 15. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And, that, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. If you want fruit, you have to be connected. You have to be connected to Jesus. Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you, produ- when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. So let's talk about relationships. It is vital to stay connected. And the first place we have to be connected is we need to be connected to Jesus Christ. And that has to happen every day. That has to happen every moment of every day. And it is the hardest thing I've ever attempted to do in my life. And I'd love to say it gets easier, but that would be a lie too. But we have ways that we actually can stay more connected. God does not leave us without hope, nor does he leave us, does he leave us without the opportunity to expand and to increase our depth of relationship with him. So if you can think about holding someone's hand, how many of you have ever held anybody's hand? I'm hoping that that's everybody. Even if you were only two at the time, you probably held somebody's hand, right? But if you can imagine God reaching down with his hand and grabbing your hand, you're connected to him. You're walking in relationship. And in those hard moments, when all of a sudden, okay, I will not put my sin on you, but in case you have ever sinned, just in case. Suppose, you know, it's that 
one person, and it's like all I asked them to do was please empty the trash can. That's all I asked. Why could you not empty the trash can? And, and at that moment, you want to begin to rail at them for not emptying the trash can. If you can just stay connected to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you don't correct them. It doesn't mean that they're not responsible to do these things. But, but how do you actually approach that situation? How do you approach that person? Can you do it with love? Can you do it with the way that God deals with us? With that love, with that gentleness? It's hard. It's not comfortable when God connects corrects us. Sometimes for me, it feels like he's hit me upside the head with a baseball bat. I probably needed the baseball bat, but he does it with great love. How are we interacting with God? Are we allowing him to love us? What happens when we interact with other people? You know, when I have a friend, and, and I, I'm on her prayer list, and I'm so grateful, but her prayer list, and, and this is no joke, every night, her prayer list, she's got 437 people that she prays for, but she's, she's got this thing that she does. And when he explained it to me, I was like, oh, that makes sense. She, she stays connected to Jesus. And when she prays, she says, God, what does Joyce need today? What does she need this moment? And when God speaks and says, Joyce needs patience, or Joyce needs grace, or Joyce needs to be reminded that I love her, she plays, God, would you remind Joyce that you love her? Holy Spirit, would you send people into her life today to give her a hug or to give her her word from you? God gave me a word today, too. So that was really good. I came here to church and got a word. <laughs> but that, and that's what we need to do. When we're interacting with people, we need to be saying, God, what, what do they need? Not what do I think they need or what I, I'm sure I, like I told you, I have great plans. I have a wonderful plan for many people's life, but is it God's plan? Is that what they need? But when we stay connected to, to God, he will give us the ability to actually hear his voice, and then pray according to what it is that they need. And when we're praying in agreement with him, amazing things happen out of that place of agreement. So we stay connected to Jesus, and part of that is we stay in the word. And, and you know, guys, this is not a list of do's and don'ts, because I am the last person to really feel that that's what God wants in relationship. Because we do stuff. God's called us to be in relationship with him, but we do stuff because of our loving relationship with him. My husband loves cherry pie. I actually make a pretty decent cherry pie. Because my husband loves cherry pie, for our anniversary, we eat cherry pie. For his birthday, we eat cherry pie. At Christmas time, we have cherry pie. In Singapore, to buy a can of cherries to make cherry pie, one can is $7.37. So when you make a pie, it's not a cheap adventure, okay? But I love him. He doesn't say to me, oh, I have to have a pie for my birthday. That's not his, but because I love him, and I know he loves cherry pie, I make cherry pie for him. Okay. That's how we're supposed to be in relationship with Jesus. Because of his great love for us and our love for him, we do the stuff that he asks us to do. Or maybe we don't do the stuff because he asks us not to do something. But it's being that relationship, being connected. So we, and, and the way that we figure out what it is he wants is we need to be in his word. We need to be walking in that place of discipleship. It means giving, giving someone the permission to actually speak into your life and to say, you know what? This looks like a really stupid choice. Okay, be kind and gracious. This looks like that might not be the best decision to make at this point in time. Have you considered? Okay, so, you know, like, like, like my boys, I say, are you being stupid right now? <laughs> but, but with others, you might want to be a little more gentle, a little kinder. My, my son said to me, I, I said something to him, he goes, Mom, are you okay? And I said, what? He says, oh, 
You're not talking to me like you usually do. And I said, what's that? Well, I expect you to say, life's tough, and then you die. Get over it. <laughs> we have a, a loving, kind relationship there, but they feel loved. <laughs> we have to choose to connect to other people. God has not called us to live in isolation. God designed all of us for relationship. And because of that design, if you try to live in isolation, you will die. Maybe not physically, but you will die spiritually. You will die emotionally. Because God has designed us for relationship. First of all, relationship with him. And second of all, relationship with other people. And it's in those places of relationship that not only do we have the opportunity to sharpen each other when we're in a place of believers, but that's where we begin to have the opportunity to speak into the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus. Um, we have a lady that comes to my house. She cleans once a week for four hours. She started cleaning when I was working full-time as a teacher. Now that I work full-time in my office, is in my next, the bedroom next to mine. Um, she still works for us. She's a Malay lady. She's a Muslim. But she has eaten food from my kitchen. That is amazing. Okay. She has had... My husband and I go to the hospital and pray for her father when he's sick. She's allowed me to pray for her. It has taken eight years of relationship. But we're in relationship. I ask her about her children. I ask her about her grandchildren. I ask her how her knee's doing. We have relationship. We know things about each other. And it's because of that relationship I'm able to speak the truth of Jesus Christ into her life. We have to be connected to other people so that we can have that so what, who are you inviting to be a part of your life? And there, I mean, obviously you invite people at different levels, but who are you inviting to be a part of your life? Who are you engaging with? We have to choose to love those who are wildly different from ourselves. Those people that you look at them and you think, what? Really? They're scary. <laughs> or you look at them and you say, really? They are so together and I'm so not. I mean, it's, it works both ways. And we need, we need to be able to, to do that. How much are you willing to let God stretch you? Are you letting, willing to let him pull you out of shape to create a new shape? Or are you so rigid in who you are that even God does not get a say in what you do or how you do it? And are you really, to, are you really willing to look at your heart? Okay, if we could go to the next slide. And we're going to skip the next slide, and if we could go to the slide after that. <laughs> Taipan is a young lady from Thailand. She was rescued out of the sex traffic trade. She is currently in the hospital in the ICU. She had to have brain surgery. She had a cyst. Foursquare churches raised money to actually pay for her surgery. Um, the doctors didn't think she would live through it. She is, uh, the day after the surgery, she was fully cognizant. Um, she doesn't have a beautiful hair anymore, but she's fully cognizant. She was able to talk. There's been a little bit of infection. There's been some bleeding, but... She is, she is a person that is being touched with the love of Jesus Christ, and she is recognizing that because people have cared about her, Jesus cares about her too. Next slide, please. This is Susan Miracle. Susan Miracle is um, from Papua New Guinea, and I actually know this woman. And, um, and I, Susan Miracle, her name says everything about her. When Susan was born, her father was a pastor, her father was attending to someone who was dying when his wife was in the hospital giving birth. He arrived at the hospital, and the doctor said to him, I'm so sorry, your daughter has, your, your baby, you had, your wife had a baby girl, and the baby died. And he said, no, God promised us a child. This is the child God promised. And the doctor said, no, we've taken the body to the morgue. The baby is dead. And he said, no, God promised me a child. 
And so he said, take me to the morgue. And they went into the morgue. And up on the shelf in the shoebox was Susan. And she had been there for hours. And he took that shoebox down, took the lid off of it. He held the box in his hand and said, God, you promised me a child. This is my child. She needs to be alive. Nothing happened. God, this is my child. <laughs> you promised me a child. He looked in the box, and the baby began to move, began to breathe, and began to cry. This is Susan. Susan is now a mother herself. Our God still raises people from the dead. I couldn't find my picture of, of another lady that God raised from the dead. Um, <laughs> She's hysterical. I mean, she's really funny when she talks about because we actually have a video of her talking about being raised from the dead. But um, I, sorry, I didn't couldn't find any pictures picture here. But God, God works. He's still working. He's doing amazing things in the lives of people. Could we go to the next slide? This is a young lady from Singapore. Her name's Bev, and and Bev has been teaching me about relationships. Bev is a damaged, broken young lady that needs Jesus desperately. Her home is a very unsafe place for her. She's attempted suicide seven times. Two times she would have been successful, except by the grace of God, someone found her and brought her to the hospital. Her arms feel like washboards from all the cutting she has done. She's bulimic. She constantly struggles with the dark, deep, depression thoughts. She's been her earliest memories are, be of her are of being physically and sexually abused. She has lived with people telling her her entire life, you are worthless, you were born to be evil, who cares about you? We should never have even allowed you to live. And yet God is beginning to work in her life. She's slowly allowing us into her life. To that place where she finally came and said, yeah, you know, I told you I wasn't doing drugs, but yeah, I'm doing drugs. <laughs> Like, okay, so how much money do you owe and how many drug dealers are going to become something for you? Well, only 16 right now. But slowly walking into a place of wholeness. She has been drug-free now for 14 days. She is slowly, and she's brilliantly intelligent, but she uses it because she's still not fully there where God wants her to be. She uses it to manipulate. I mean, she's, she's great at all kinds of things. But God is working in her life. He is not leaving her in that broken place. And in the process of getting to know her, another friend of hers brought her to me and said, would you please pray for her because things are bad at home and she wants to commit suicide. And so, you know, so that was my introduction. As I have allowed myself to love her and care about her, God has shown me parts of my own heart. When I talk about being connected, about what are you willing to let God stretch you? How are you willing to, to change? He's shown me that I'm, I'm, I'm still incredibly selfish. I'm very self-centered. There's times it's like at 2 o'clock she wants to process all the worst, at 2 o'clock in the morning she wants to process all the worst stuff that's going on in her life. I just want to go to sleep. Please, I have to get up at 5. Um, you know, am, I willing, am I willing to lay aside my stuff in order to begin to minister to people that are hurting and broken? And she has become a representation to me of something that is true globally of People between the ages, basically, I know it's broader, but between the ages of 12 and 30. Okay, 
we see these kinds of behaviors repeated across the globe. It's not, it's not one nation. It's, it's here in the US. It's in England. It's in Singapore. It is a global phenomenon. And, and the main reason people are hurting so much is that they're not connected to each other. There is no sense of community. There's no sense of belonging. And God is calling us to be that community, be that place of belonging. If we could go to the, the there should be one more slide. I really, I promise I'm getting it. So <laughs> I, I, I want you to know I really thought about what you said. <laughs> Your pastor said to me, how can we engage? So how can you as a local church? First of all, there's prayer. And I, I just, um, let, me get to my, let me get to my notes about this. I, I'm sure I can make them big enough. Psalms 91 is a great place to start and pray over missionaries, over national leaders. Foursquare puts together a fabulous monthly prayer guide, and you can download it free of charge from the Foursquare website. And it will give you the names of missionaries, it will give you places, and it will give you, for each of the regions, there will be three or four things you can pray for that region for that each month. I mean, it's, it's there. It's a great thing. But also Psalms 91, where you can pray for people's safety, for their health, uh, that they'll have favor with government, that they'll have wisdom, that they'll have discernment, that God will just guide them in making those divine appointment connections. That's one of the things you can do. Uh, who are your neighbors? Who has God brought to your doorstep? I'm sorry, here in Southern California, you can find just about anybody from any place. You just have to go look. So who has God brought to your doorstep? Begin to, to connect with them. Begin to have a relationship with them. They're here and people, when they're displaced from their comfort zone, are far more open to friendships, relationships, and to change. And it makes them prime candidates to hear about Jesus Christ. So, so who are you doing? Um, what kind of outreach are you doing? And, and I've heard some things even in your announcements, but in your community, in your city, in your state, your nation, and then beyond. What is it that God is doing here? How can you reach into your community? Maybe it's you provide tuition. Um, that's not what they call it in America. You provide a tutoring service for kids that are struggling in school. You know, the majority of people come to Jesus between the ages of like 9 and 15. So if you are engaging with people at that, in that age group at that level, it does, it's, yeah, it takes a couple hours a week. It doesn't take a whole lot of money. It does cost you time. It does mean making the commitment to be there on regular basis. But how are you? How are you engaging your community? Short-term forays. <laughs> we love them. We hate them. <laughs> but you need to to go short-term. It may be as little as three days. It may be as much as three months. But where is God opening the door for you to go and visit? Can you can you connect with another missionary? Can you connect with a four-square church someplace else? And it might initially be someplace else in the United States. Um, Oh, dear, I'm sorry. Elliot, no, is that your name? I did remember it right. Elliot came from the East Coast. He's discovered that the West Coast is a really different place. It is not culturally the same. I don't care what anybody tells you. And if you go north to south, we have that same problem. Okay? So, so maybe it's not that you leave the U.S. yet, but maybe it's just within our borders. God gives you an opportunity to go to a different place to experience how other people perceive, live, deal. So, so that, but, but also looking at going internationally. Go short term and ask God, what is it you want to do in me? Yes, you want to go and be a blessing to the people you're, you're going to serve. But what is it that God wants to do in you? What does he want to speak to you? Finances. You stole my line. <laughs> where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. So where do you put your money in? 
Is it Starbucks? I have to have my double shot latte, cappuccino, whatever it is. I don't drink coffee. So, so, so whatever that thing is, or for me, it's like, oh, I really like the extra cinnamon chai latte. Okay, um, what is it that you like? Are you willing to give that up? When I was, okay, I told you I taught for 29 years. I taught in Singapore, and I really am going to finish. I'm sorry. Please be patient with me. Um, I challenged my students. We, Cambodia had had a drought. The rice crop had failed. It cost two, it, you need 2,000 pounds of rice a day to feed the orphans. That's a day, okay, guys? That's a lot of money. And so we challenged, we challenged our high school kids because they have done short-term missions into Cambodia. They know the ministry there. We challenged them, can we raise $10,000 to buy enough rice for a month? <laughs> okay? And, and we decided we would do it with loose change. And they did it a save it or shave it, you know. If we raise this much money, we get to shave the principal's head. If we raise this much money, we shave the director's head. Shave the sh you know, it's like, and, and in the space of about three and a half or four weeks, they raised, raised over $10,000 in coins. And they got to shave a lot of heads. <laughs> but, but they did it by giving up. A big thing in, in Singapore is bubble tea. So it's different flavored teas with these um, tapioca pearls inside of them. Oh, they were so fun. Okay, whatever you call it here. Anyway, so a lot of them, it's like, I will give up bubble tea. They say, pick my big treat of the day and have my bubble tea every day. And they gave up their bubble tea, which bubble tea costs about $3.50. So $3.50 a day over the course of five days, you do that over the course of a month. Where your money is, there your heart is. So finances, and then equipping. What are you doing to be discipled? Uh, you know, like at the Gary German's church, The Rock, they have a, a program called Solid Lives. It's a, it's a wonderful discipleship program. But guys, it's not about the checklist to, to do. It's, out of, it's the relationship. Okay? So please, I don't want you to go into performance. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Here's this list of do's. Here's this list. It's not where you want to live. You want, want you to live in relationship. Because out of that relationship, when you are equipped, you will go and equip others. It happens naturally because that's the thing that's burning in your heart. That's the thing that you're passionate about. And so it becomes a part of it. And then sending. Who is God asking you as a congregation to tithe? Not your money, your people. Um, my husband and I, when we were first pastoring, we pastored in 29 Palms, California. It's a marine town, okay? They didn't say amen. They said, yes, sir. <laughs> It's great fun. You, you never knew exactly what was going to come out of some people's mouths, especially when they were new Christians. It, it, was, it was always great fun. Um, so, but, but in that situation, we went to them and we said, listen, our missions applications are in. But God has said that we need the experience of being a senior pastor, but we cannot use you as a stepping stone. We are willing for God to allow us to live and serve here and die here, if that's what he wants. And their church council looked at us and said, well, you know, we have tithed members of our congregation always. We bring people in because it's a military town, people changing, leaving all the time. We train them, we disciple them, and we send them to be a blessing wherever God calls them. We've never tithed a pastor before, but we could do that. And three years later, they did. They tithed us. Who is God asking you to tithe from your congregation? Who is he maybe saying, will you send them? Will you support them? Will you let them go? Will you encourage them? 
Who is it that God's asking you to send? Those are some of the things that you can do. I want to challenge you today, and I know I've taken too much time, and my apologies, I really do feel badly because I tried to talk faster. Who is it that God is asking you to be? Is he asking you to be the one that spends time in intercession and prayer? Is he asking you to be the one that finds unique ways to give? Is he asking you to be the one to go? Is he asking you to go within, your, within the context of the United States? Is he asking you to go globally? Who is it that God has called you to be? And if you're not sure about who it is that God has called you to be, we want to pray for you after church. Because we want you to know who it is that God has called you to be. Whether he's called you to be in a classroom as a teacher, if he's called you to be a plumber who's cleaning out the sewage lines, whatever it is that God has called you to do, and he has called you in each of those places to be light in dark places. He has called this church to be a place where the ugliest, worst sinners can come and be loved and accepted and brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What do you need to do as a body? What do I need to do as part of the body to make this the place where that can happen? And when we do that, we are fulfilling our mission's call in all the ways that it looks. So after, after the service, because we went over, after the service, if you would like prayer, please, I would like to invite you to come up and we will pray for you. And thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to take extra time. And, and thank you so much for being such wonderful listeners. Have you stay right here. Don't okay. go. Um, I couldn't have planned you better. <laughs> okay. 